Once you grab your Bibles out, we're going to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to read Matthew's account of the Christmas story. But before we even get there, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, just thank you even for that sound of rain we can hear as we gather here. Thank you for the rain and the river of your presence. Thank you for your mercies that are new for us each and every morning, in the midst of the easy seasons and the challenging seasons, there you are. Your presence is with us. You are the God who is our Emmanuel. So Lord, we incline our hearts towards you. We incline our ears to hear your voice this morning. We pray that you would speak to us. We thank you for your word. May it lead us. May it guide us. May it feed us and sustain us. May it accomplish all that you desire as you send it forth into our hearts this morning. For the glory of your name, King Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm not sure if uh, any of you have braved the shops in the last couple of weeks in the lead up to Christmas. I headed along there this past week and actually it wasn't as busy as I thought it might have been given some previous years, but it was a bit of an adjustment getting used to trying to find a car park, driving around, seeing the people around, navigating some of the awkwardness. You know, there's those who are very zealous about their little red dot and social distancing, and that's fine. There's others that it seems to have completely gone out of the window as they rush around to get all the last-minute Christmas present shopping done. But it is that time of year. It's been an interesting year, but we would... It would, it would be miss of us not to spend some time as the year approaches its close and as we come to Christmas Day to reflect upon the reality, the substance, the source, and as we often say, the reason for the season. So let's read in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, his account from verse 18. It says the birth of Jesus Christ. Verse 18, chapter 1. Gospel according to Matthew says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. If you pause there for a moment, it always strikes me as I read Matthew's account. And I love that we have four Gospels and we get these different insights and perspective perspectives as the Holy Spirit has inspired these different readers to bring out aspects and elements of the life of Christ and the surrounding events. And Luke's account is wonderful, isn't it? It's detailed and it's elegant. There's songs and dancing and babies leaping for joy. And in fact, he takes some 80 verses to cover what Luke focuses on in just one. This is kind of the headline version. This is the bloke's version of the Christmas story. It says, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. This is how it happened. It happened. And we skip right to the punchline. He moves on. Verse 19, it says, so Mary is pregnant. Verse 19, Joseph, her husband, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Isn't it funny how often that phrase appears in the Christmas story? We talked just before 
in the midst of the age. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do you think there's a bit of awe? There's a bit of wonder? There's a bit of amazement? I think sometimes we lose, or it loses its luster a little, doesn't it? Because we've sanitized it. By the way, we have Jesus in display, on display in the auditorium this morning. Thank you to those who put together this second portion of our Christmas display. But we've kind of sanitized it at times, haven't we, and, and made it a little more clean cut than certainly it would have been to the hearers at that time. Continue, do, do not be afraid, because at times I'm sure they were plainly terrified as the host of heaven turns up as angels begin to proclaim this unfolding mystery of the purposes of God in his grand plan of salvation. He says, do not be afraid. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Let's pause there just for a moment. See, we've jumped straight from Mary has been found to be pregnant. We're not told exactly how. How did Joseph find out? Do you, do you ever read those details and you think, I wish there was a little bit more information in there, a bit, bit more of a Luke's version of the account there, just a few more nuances of exactly how this outplayed. But we, we don't know. Other than, Scripture tells us, he found out. He found out that Mary, this woman he was betrothed to, was pregnant. Now, I've preached on this before. I don't want to labor it too much, but it always strikes me as I read this account. I feel for Joseph because he's here. He's had to this point no angelic visitation. He's had no special revelation. He's had no specific promises from God, his introduction to the Christmas story is he's found himself in the midst of a big problem. All of a sudden, he's betrothed to this girl who's found to be with child. This huge, life-altering situation. And in fact, I think that's worth us considering because I know that we all want Christmas to be perfect. We put all the time and effort into the decorations we have the presents neatly wrapped under the trees, and that's all fine and good. But Christmas, the Christmas story, in all of its fullness, was not a clean, cut, comfortable account. And here we have Joseph finding himself and wrestling his way through the midst of a problem. What is he going to do? It says that he, he knew in, in and of himself what his response was. To be, he resolved that. Well, you know, clearly this is what happens here. Is this woman I'm betrothed to is found to be with child, so I need to to put her away quietly. I need to deal with this, but I don't want to put it to open shame. I need to find a way to make this happen. And yet, in the midst of him wrestling through, it says that as he considered these things, verse twenty, as he wrestled through, as he deliberated, as he sought the Lord, as he prayed. See, so often we, I believe, miss the purposes of God because we're too quick to just respond out of our own fleshly understanding. And we talked about this when we were working our way through the book of Acts as the Lord, as the Holy Spirit was opening up the gospel to the Gentiles. And in the midst of that place, we all of a sudden see Peter finding himself in the midst of a conundrum. As the Lord gives him this dream and vision, and he wrestles through, arise, kill, and eat. And he says, well, this doesn't make any sense. I've got no paradigm or grid. 
And we talked about the fact that so often when we find ourselves in the midst of these circumstances, that's actually God's preparation process. It's the problem that allows him to recalibrate us, to make room in us for what he wants to outwork through us. We don't run away from the problems, but we seek the Lord in the midst of them. And in that place, as he's wrestling with God, it says the angel appears to him, says, do not fear, for this is of the Lord. He says, take Mary as your wife. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. End of verse 21, for he will save his people from their sins. Nice and simple. This is how it happened. It happened. She was with child. The angel appears, says Joseph. This is of the Lord. Marry the girl. Call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Simplicity and clarity in the midst of the confusion. In the midst of his wrestling. And it always strikes me as well that this wasn't so much the appearance of the angel of the Lord to give Joseph an explanation, but it was to give him an invitation. He doesn't say, well, Joseph, let me sit down, let me explain the mysteries of the universe, and this is how this is all going to work together. But it was an invitation for Joseph to enter into the plans and the purposes of God, the greatest plan that has ever unfolded in human history. So that encourages me because it shows me that we don't always have to have it all figured out. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. And that's what it says he does. If we read on verse 24, it says, When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He, he awakes and immediately he obeys. He took his wife but did not know her until she'd given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Jesus. Here we have Matthew's account of the gospel story. And I love it, as I said, um, in the same way that Luke's is, is elegant and it's detailed. Matthew's is punchy in its simplistic clarity. Here is the reality and the heart of what this is all about. You see, there's, there's so many signs of Christmas, isn't there? There is. There's traditions that you know, some have come from different aspects of our heritage and growing up. Some are more modern, but they're always evident all around from the lights and the decorations and the Christmas trees, even the crowded shops as we race around to get our last visit, minute present shopping, the inflatable reindeer that adorn people's lawns. And so on. There's always obvious signs when Christmas is near. And in our own family, we've developed some of these traditions, some intentionally, some have just happened. I know Adam was talking last week about some of his family traditions and Advent calendars, and, and they're wonderful things. Well, we have this one, and I'm not quite sure how it has developed, but I do have four, I was going to say girls, but I get in trouble, particularly from the older ones. They say, Daddy, we're not girls anymore. We're young ladies. So I have four young ladies growing up very fast. And they discovered a few years ago now the Netflix Christmas catalog. And I say Christmas in inverted catalog, uh, in inverted commas, because there's usually some loose link to 
Christmas somewhere in the movie. So titles, for example, and we go through these every year multiple times. We started back in November, so we've already done the full catalogue, and I think we're cycling through for the second or third time. A Christmas Prince is one. Christmas with a Prince. A Christmas Prince 2, The Royal Wedding. A Christmas Prince 3, The Royal Baby. Has anyone seen these? You can see they're sort of titles on a theme. We did branch out a little. We came across A Christmas Night of the Shining Armour variety. He's transported back from the 1400s and fulfills a quest in the... Have we seen these movies? The, the list goes on. A list of quality Netflix Christmas-themed movies that we cycle through. And it has become a tradition. It's not necessarily what I'd envisioned as being a Christmas tradition, but I've learnt that when you are a father to four young women, there's some things you need to embrace. You need to embrace pink and learning some ballet moves and being on first name basis with most of the Disney princesses and so on and so forth. But quite genuinely, this is not the message, but as an aside, I love the girliness of my girls. I do. Like it is special. I mean, that's all I've known. And I'm sure that if it was for boys, the Christmas traditions would look different. would be out hunting the wild pigs with kitchen knives or something of that nature. But I, I, I just, I love that. And I think we need to celebrate that more, especially in our day and age where we kind of like to blend things together. And uh, the Bible says clearly, male and female made in the image of God. And let's celebrate. I love celebrating the girliness of my little girls and embracing it and encouraging in it. Even if it means there's a bit of ballet moves and Netflix Christmas-themed movies. But it's interesting, each of these Christmas movies and themes, there's some element of Christmas in there, isn't there? There's some kind of theme thrown in that this is what Christmas is about. You know, it's, it's about caring for others. It's about looking out for the less fortunate. It's about expressing your kindness in some way. It's about finding joy and happiness. And that's not bad in itself. All of these are good themes. There's joy, there's peace, there's hope, there's light. Even from a biblical point of view, there's many different themes. But all of these themes are centered around this one reality. And in fact, as I said, my girls, and this definitely comes from my wife, not me, but they love Christmas. They love getting into all of the, the different aspects of it. And one came to me this year. and She said, you know, I've really decided I want to make a big deal of Christmas. I want to do that. I want to, you know, the, the, the whole kit and caboodle. And I said, fantastic, that's great. I'm all for all of those things. But if you want to make a big deal of Christmas, you need to remember what the big deal of Christmas actually is. We've got to center ourselves. We've got to grab a hold of that. All those other themes are fine and they're wonderful and I embrace them. They're fun. There's nothing, nothing wrong with them at all. But let's never lose sight of what the big deal of Christmas actually is. And here it is as Matthew proclaims it. it. says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let me break that down in two simple ways. So simple that hopefully we can be reminded, refreshed, re-encouraged, and re invigorated about what this big deal is all about. Number one, it is all about a God who came. 
The incarnation is the theological word. It's all about this reality that there was a God, there is a God who stepped into human flesh, who came as a baby, fully God, fully man, the God who put on flesh, who came to dwell among us, who is our Emmanuel. See, he came, he showed up, he broke through. He is forever the God who is with us, forever fully committed to us, forever fully for us, and forever fully with us. And you say, yes, we know that, we understand that, of course, at least in theory. But what does that actually mean? Here's the truth that we need to grab a hold of each and every time it comes to celebrating the big deal of Christmas. Why is it important? Because more and more each and every passing year, we want to relegate Christian faith to some mystical, spiritual, experiential, subjective, transcendental. It's something out there. It's something that's just part of your own personal expression. Now, there's a personal aspect to belief. I'm not saying there's not. But Christianity at its heart is truth. Truth in the form of flesh and blood. It's this undeniable reality, this real place, this real saviour, this real mission. He was born as a baby. Now, there's, there's nothing about that story that can be relegated just to someone's personal subjective interpretation. Either it is the truth and it changes everything, or it's not and it should be shunned and denied with every fiber of our being. There's no middle ground. And see, it's that reality of a God who came that centers us. It's the heart, it's the, the substance, it's the foundation, it's the fountain. A God who would come. He has come. He has come to save us. He is at the heart of the gospel message. He's still in the midst of his people. He's still saving, still shaping lives, still calling anybody who would have ears to hear. In the midst of all that is around us, and it is increasingly times where the noise of chaos and confusion and everything else we see around us, this reality, it cuts through with an undeniable clarity. It's so simple and yet so profound and life-changing, life-changingly altering that he is a God who came. He's a God who came, but he came with a purpose and a mission, and here it is very simply. Not only is he the God who came, but he is the God who came to save. He is the God who saves. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. You see, in, in this day and time in Jewish culture, our names are just identifiers, whereas their names were messages. And the name Jesus, it literally means salvation. Literally means Yahweh is salvation. In fact, a direct transliteration of this verse would be, Joseph would have literally heard it. You shall call his name Yeshua is salvation, because Yeshua is salvation, his people from their sins. Like that's, that's what it means. It literally is his name. It's a name that points us to the essence of his being, to the heart of his mission, that he is the saviour, that he came to save. 
Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He says, he is nothing at all if he is not a saviour. He came to this very end. His name is a sham if he does not save his people from their sins. He didn't come to just preach good messages, to do nice miracles, to encourage people's hearts. He came first and foremost and ultimately to save people from their sins. And don't you love this? It says he will save people from their sins. He will. There's, there's no shadow of doubt there. And we could look back now and saying he has. He has come. There's, there's nothing that we can add to this work of salvation. He has come. He's given up his life as a sacrifice. He has done it. He has won it. He has made it available. It is definite and it is defining. He will save his people from their sins. And all of us are equally in need of his salvation. There's nothing beyond his power. There's nothing beyond his provision. It's funny, we, um, in the midst of lockdown, I'm not quite sure how this one, this particular one arrived, but my girls came home with this game. If you've got uh, primary age kids, it was more the young ones, you might have heard this. It's the Would You Rather game. Anyone heard of that? Would you rather? Would you rather? The way the game works is you say, would you rather? And then you give them two ridiculously bad choices. So it first was framed to me in this way. I said, Dad, would you rather have teeth for hair or hair for teeth? And I thought, what sort of a stupid game is this? Would you rather have teeth for hair or hair for teeth? I said, I'd rather neither. What sort of a ridiculous question is that? And so, so on and forth it goes. Would you rather this bad choice or that bad choice? Well, they're equally as bad. I don't, I don't want either of them. Who wants teeth for hair or hair for teeth? Would you rather become your pet for a day or your pet become human for a day was another one. And so on went the list. Two bad alternatives. But it kind of strikes me that that's the kind of world we're living in. It's the would you rather game. Would you rather this bad choice or that bad? Well, I don't want either of those choices. I want the reality of what Christmas proclaims that Christ came to win for me. This incredible gift of salvation. What's the fine print? What's required of me? Nothing. Just to receive the gift that he offers. Why do I want that? Would you rather? No, I'd rather this. Thank you. I'd rather receive this gift that he offers. You see, Christmas is about the breaking through of the glory of God into the darkness of our stubborn, selfish pride, manifesting itself in the midst of the ordinariness of life. The truth is we are a tired, weary generation. We're burdened. The rat race gets faster. There's more things to do, more pressures, more problems to try and solve. Have we missed something? Where's the hope, the joy, and the peace? And if we want to grab the big deal of Christmas, here is what it is. It's a reminder of the extravagant, incomparable, undeserved gift. The gift of a Savior. His name shall be called Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. There's nothing more refreshing. There's nothing more radically life-changing and life-altering. For unto us a Savior is born. Our great need, his salvation. 
have great joy, the reality that a Savior has come. Can we get Allie to come back if she's here ready to go? So I want to encourage us simply as we bring this to a, a conclusion in this way. In, in, in an increasingly complex world, ever confusing, there is this crystal clear reality as we come and I'd encourage you to before you leave ponder upon the manger scene reflect on the reality of what that actually means to us don't gloss over it don't let it lose its awesome wonder that there is a God who came as a baby he put on flesh fully God and fully man and he came with a mission and a purpose in mind he came to bring salvation to those that he purposed in his heart before he laid the foundation of the world. See, this is what it means to celebrate Christmas, to be big on Christmas. And I hope all of us would be big on Christmas. For those of us who know who he is, it means to trust in who he said he is. And if you've made that step, it means not just to, to believe it, not just to even sing of it as we come on a Sunday. It means to live it, to allow it to shape our lives, to strengthen us, to refresh us, to allow it to grab a hold of us in a way that rearranges us, re-inspires us and reignites a passion for His name. Never ending, never quenchable, a passion for His name that is salvation. For any of us who are yet to believe, maybe there's people in this room, maybe there's some joining us online or who will join us. I would encourage you today, you know, this salvation, it's not just for the righteous. It's not just for those who've earned it. It's not just for those who need some kind of a crutch to help them through. They've got a lot of baggage. They need a savior. See, this salvation is for every man, woman, and child. It's for the nations. It's for the good news for all people. It's the unshakable, unyielding foundation that you can build your life upon. The unquenchable truth that guides us through the midst of the darkness. And I would encourage you today to lift up your eyes and see Him afresh afresh for who he is that there is no other that there never will be another and that today you would choose to call upon his name to put your faith and your hope in the only place and in the only one who can bring salvation, who can rescue us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time of year. We thank you for a year that, although there's been many highs and lows and ups and downs and struggles and hopefully some successes in the midst, that there's a, a reality that endures, that there's a truth that still stands, that there's a foundation that holds us steady. 
It's a reality that we reflect upon this morning, and particularly at this time of year, that you yourself, the, the God of all eternity, the uncreated one, you put on flesh. You came and dwelt amongst us. And you came to fulfill your mission, which was to seek and to save those who were lost. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who are big on Christmas, who never lose sight of the true reality of what it means to be overwhelmed by your incredible love, rescued, redeemed, and set free and then sent forth to shine brightly as lights in the midst of a dark world. It's just one, one group of people I'd love to pray for this morning. I kind of alluded to this just as you stay in that place of worship. But, and I promise I'll finish with this. I had a, a moment with one of my girls this morning and my wife Allie had headed off early. She was on music practice and she came in there. She's got this beautiful long hair as they all do actually. This is the second youngest and she was in quite a state. It's always a bit of an effort anyway when it's me solo trying to get four young girls ready. There's still some aspects of that that I'm not sure I'll ever quite get up to speed with. But she, she'd got the hair out and she had a brush and the brush was stuck in there and there's tangled knots. She said, Dad, it's one big dreadlock and it's a tangled mess. Can you help me? Can you help me? She's visibly upset. I said, sweetheart, just, just sit down. We can work this through together. Just sit down. So she sat on my lap and we spent, we had a bit of time. It was probably a good 20, 30 minutes of me attempting to brush the hair. I then attempted to do the hair. Don't look too closely. She's not in the room, but we, we made something work. And the whole time, I was just like, you know, sweetheart, I just love you so much. And she looked at me at the end of this time. She'd come in flustered. She'd come in tangled, you know, hair in the midst of the state it was in. She said this. It was so odd coming from a little girl. But she said, Dad, thank you so much. You've really lifted my spirits. That's what she said. It was just like, oh. He just, he just lifted my spirits. Let's have that sense this morning that the Lord just wants to lift our spirits. It doesn't matter what sort of a tangled mess you're in. It doesn't matter what sort of circumstances you've gone through this year. There's a God, and that's his everlasting love. He just says, come sit here. Come sit here. Let me just lavish my love upon you. Let me just tell you how I see this circumstance and situation. Let me just help you step by step, pick through the mess. And we too can come out the other side with that proclamation of, he's the God who lifts my spirits. He's the lifter of my head. So Father, whoever that is for this morning, I just pray that there'd be that sense this morning of you lifting our heads. That we'd look up, that we'd look away, that you come and meet us in the midst of whatever it is we're going through. Bring your comfort, bring your love, bring your grace and your mercy and your kindness. We thank you for your presence here this morning. 
come and do whatever you desire to do, we pray. So we just listen to that rain. Just let the rain of your presence fall and rest upon us, King Jesus. King Jesus.